Hello, welcome to another meditation question and answer session. I'm joined here with Shraddha ba- Barahi. Barahi. My name is Yutta Dhamma. I am a Buddhist monk. And we're here to answer questions about meditation. And we're here to meditate. So, study and learning in Buddhism is, or should be, very much intertwined or connected with practice. So it's not an exercise in gaining intellectual knowledge. It's an exercise in experiencing the knowledge and experiencing the the cultivation of knowledge. So everything we say and talk about should be directed towards improving our practice and improving our connection with our experience. See, a big problem is that we're not very connected with our experiences or disconnected. We're in our heads too much, we would say in English, which means we're we're in the realm of concepts. We think in terms of people, places, things. And this isn't the this isn't the the truth about reality. Reality isn't made up of people, places and things. So it disconnects us from what's really happening. Right? When you see a person, you're actually seeing first and the person arises in your mind, the conception that that's a person. But before that, there had to be an experience of seeing. So the experience of seeing is more primary. It's more real in a sense. And so to get really in touch with reality, you have to stay in the realm of experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. You have to connect with that. Then you're able to see your reactions and, and your, your judgments and your partialities and your biases. You're able to see your good and bad habits and be able to differentiate. You're able to differentiate between them. If you live in the world of people, places, things, concepts, you know, extrapolations, opinions, all of that is abstract. It's removed from reality. It's very difficult to see what's really going on and thus to make any real change. Any, any positive, any change based on actual understanding, based on clarity of mind. It's also much more peaceful to live in the now. It doesn't feel like that when you begin to practice because we're wrestling with a mind that is so accustomed to following its opinions and judgments and reactions. So it's a bit of a struggle in the beginning, but... Once you get proficient with it, you can feel the release, the freedom, the freedom from stress and, and from complication. It's very simple to just live with seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. So the way this works is we close our eyes, we take up the practice. If you've read our booklet on how to meditate that's the basis of wh- which what we practice and so you practice in that way start with the stomach what's it rising falling watching it rise and fall noting all the other experiences that take your attention away if you haven't read the booklet well that's the first thing you should do you're welcome to stay here for the hour but recommended that before you get into asking questions that you read the booklet and learn about the context in which a lot of the answers are coming. And if you have questions, then just post them in the chat. Open your eyes, post them in the chat, then close your eyes and go back to meditating. You don't have to sit there waiting for a reply. We'll, We'll reply when we get to it, if we get to it. Questions not about meditation, we may answer them. It's up to Shraddha whether she decides to ask them. And then it's up to me whether I decide to answer them.
We'll try to be fair. All right. If there are questions, we can get ready to start answering, asking and answering. When I get frequently distracted by my own thoughts, I have sometimes tried to count the number of times my stomach rises and falls. Is this okay? So it's a common practice in the beginning to try and find tricks, ways of controlling the mind. And that's not what we're about. So anything that tries to control the mind, and that's maybe not how you would phrase it, but that's really what you're trying to do generally is trying to change things. You know, your mind is distracted by thoughts, and so your goal is to change that so that you're no longer distracted by thoughts. We're not about that. It may be surprising to learn, but we're about learning about the mind. So just seeing that your mind is frequently distracted by thoughts is an important first step. The way of combating it is learning to be objective and non-reactionary to your thoughts because it's reaction that perpetuates it, that continues the mind to create new thoughts and get excited and interested in the thoughts and so on. So we would say to ourselves, distracted, distracted, and, and you really just need patience to allow that to happen until finally the mind gets it, that that's actually a stressful way of being. The, the, the goal is not because it's a stressful way of being, I should try and get rid of it, because that cultivates aversion. Right? So don't try and find ways to make it easier or to fix things. So no, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Try and be patient. Get distracted. Once you realize you're distracted, note it again. Distracted, distracted. Come back to the stomach and again and again and again until the mind finally gets it. Oh yeah. Becomes more familiar with that process and realizes how much stress and unnecessary mental activity is involved. Is it better to note everything that happens in the mind and body instead of just the breath? So we don't normally note the breath, we note the stomach, and that's maybe what you're referring to. But maybe you haven't read the booklet, because the booklet describes using the stomach as a main object and then noting everything else when it arises. Once, it's, once something else arises, note it, and then go back to the stomach. And repeat that whenever anything comes and distracts you. Where should awareness rest when noting distracted? Distracted is in the mind, and the mind doesn't take up space, which may surprise you. Um, but that's what you're starting maybe to realize, is that where where do I go? Because it's nowhere, right? The mind isn't anywhere. You don't have to go somewhere to note the mind. It's not about going somewhere. It's just about reminding yourself that was distraction. When doing rising, falling, sitting, how long do I note the sitting and what should I bring my mind to? While doing that, do I pause the rising and falling until I return to it? You should note it just as long as it takes. Well, the noting only takes a moment. So you should only do it for as long as it takes to do it, which is just a moment. What should you bring your mind to? Well, it changes. Sometimes it's the legs, sometimes it's the back. Whatever it is that allows you to know that you're sitting causes you to know that you're sitting. And no, you don't pause the rising and falling. It's a different object. So there would be no reason to, to pause anything. You're not even supposed to be interested in the rising and falling. Once you know the sitting, then go back and look at the stomach and wait for the next rising. This person's referring to a, a technique that we give to people during the course. It's something that is a part of 
uh, you know, later part of the course. So if you're wondering what this person's referring to, they're referring to something that we do in the in the course, the at-home course or the intensive course. If you're interested, you're welcome to take the at-home course by going to our website and learning about that. It's all free. Bhante, I'm a newly following your teachings and I have a very sick friend. Is grief a good time to learn or will the experience affect the way I learn? No, grief is... See, what you're learning about is about grief, things like grief. So don't, don't be concerned that that's going to be a problem. That's actually an important part. The thing is, for exa as, a, as an example... When you grieve, through the process of grieving, you're going to develop habits, reactions, you know, patterns of behavior that are that are actually um, un or uncommon or, or new, right? And if you're not mindful, if you're not practicing, it, w it will affect you in a bad way. And so the, the habits that you gain having come out of the process of grief may actually be problematic, may actually cause harm to you and others. If you're mindful during it, then the idea is if well, if you're good at it, if you if you really do practice it during the time that you're you're grieving, you can come out of it with much better, more skillful habits and and greater understanding. It's a very good time because there's many patterns of behavior that will come out during that time that you can learn about and, and refine and change for the better. I'm trying to meditate with the next brain. Since pain is the clearest sensation, should I only note the pain for the whole duration of meditation session? Note, note it for a while, but if after quite a while, like a, a long period of time, it doesn't go away, then just go back to the rising, falling. I wouldn't recommend noting it for the whole duration. It's not really wrong, but it can get obsessive. Recommend going to something more neutral, the stomach. And then if it distracts you again, the pain distracts you again, go to it again. There are some of the questions that are not exactly about meditation, so I'm going back to them. I've heard you talking against the use of sensory deprivation chambers for meditation. Isn't the use of things like that just an extension of closing your eyes? Uh, technically, a there's nothing wrong with a sensory deprivation chamber. The question is why you're using it. So closing your, closing your eyes is, yeah, similar. Why would you close your eyes? It's a bit of a happy medium, you know. I mean, closing your eyes is not an extreme form of sensory deprivation. It's um, it's meant to close off a main source of distraction. So, so preventing yourself from seeing is sensory deprivation, but it's it's useful in, in the sense that we we get really distracted by seeing. Trying to cut off all your senses is a little bit self-defeating because you, you, you want to learn about your senses. The problem with keeping your eyes open is it's too much. It can be too much. And again, there's nothing wrong as well with doing mind, practicing mindfulness with your eyes open. With your eyes closed, you are able to get more in touch with, say, the physical sensations right, of pain and, and so on. We want to learn about these things. Being in a sensory deprivation chamber is, you know, you've you've lost some prime fodder for practice of mindfulness. I mean, it's a good question. It's just the question would a, a better question would be why do we close our eyes? Um, you know, why why not just experience everything? Because the more senses you shut off, it, it, the less productive your practice becomes. It's in a sense more productive. If you have your eyes open, it's, the problem is it's just too much. So, 
as a happy medium, we decide closing our eyes is probably in our benefit because it's it's still lots when you your eyes are closed. There's still physical sensations and there's still sights, there's still sounds. Monte, the next, the next question is uh, related. What is your opinion on doing samatha or vipassana with eyes open, focusing on a point? It seems that I got more distracted with them closed. Yeah, I mean, that's really funny how this follows on that. Um, that's the point of, of closing off the senses in the first place is because it brings you closer to the mind. So again, with the happy medium, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being distracted. The distraction that comes from closing your eyes is in a sense welcome because we want to learn about that. We want to understand how we get distracted. Uh, again, it's not technically a bad thing to practice with your eyes open. It's not technically um, a bad thing to practice in a sensory deprivation chamber. It's just, I would say both of them are less optimal than sitting with your eyes closed. If you're very distracted, sometimes you can lie down. It helps to focus your attention, but you can also practice with your eyes open. We don't tend to encourage that. Again, if you're looking for a way, the thing about happy mediums is they, they create a sort of, they try to create a sort of a default state. If you're looking for a way to improve your practice, you probably got a problem. That, that's a problem, trying to improve your practice. The happy medium, the default, finding a sort of a middle ground is a good way to uh, avoid falling into any extreme or any um, partiality, you know, any trying to make your practice easier. That's why sitting, I think, is another reason why sitting is such a good posture because it's halfway. It's a, it's a default sort of. It's not as stressful as walking or standing, but it's not as relaxing as lying down. So it's somewhere in the default middle. And and none of the postures are wrong. It's just practically. Sitting with your eyes closed is a good, happy medium. Not doesn't make it doesn't mean it's easy. It actually makes it quite challenging, but it also makes it more productive for not um, falling into extremes or becoming biased or favoring one one state over another. Is it helpful to note while meditating that every arising of a will to control the meditation is itself a mere result of impersonal causes and conditions? So it's helpful to note thinking, thinking, if you start to think that sort of thing. You're, you're using the raw, a, a different form of the word note. It's not helpful to note in the way that you're thinking. It's helpful to note in the sense of reminding yourself. That's why I don't use the word noting very much. I ask people to say to themselves just to make it clear that I actually want you to use the mantra and I use the word remind you know, because that's what the word sati means so it's helpful to remind yourself that you're thinking when you're thinking if you start to have these conceptions that every arising of a will to control is itself etc etc you have to say to yourself thinking, thinking that's what you have to note you have to remind yourself hey this is thinking, so you're because you've forgotten that you've gotten into discursive thought. You've lost the actual experience. Curious why you stress stopping during walking meditation to no thinking rather than no thinking or seeing while stepping and going back to the foot like we do with the breath while sitting. Because there's there's mental activity involved in walking, when in moving the foot. So if you continue walking, it's not productive in the long run. Now, to note thinking, we generally don't stress stopping. Um, if it's just a stray thought, you can just ignore it. But if you really get distracted, 
If you're, if you're thinking a lot, you should stop and say distracted, distracted. It's fine to stop and say thinking. That's not wrong. It's just probably better practice in general to not try and note every stray thought if it's just a stray thought. In the beginning, you're just going to be very distracted, and that's different. You should stop and say, just stop walking and say distracted, distracted. It's too, it's too, too, too distracting to try and walk and note something. You're not, you're kind of defeating the purpose. I mean, I think ultimately I'd have to say, is it wrong? No, it's not wrong because you can, you, know, you can be that quick. It's just it's too distracting. Too, too much, too many things at once. So best practices. People often try and ask, is, is this the right way or is that the right way? And it's not so much like that as it is best practices. The best practice is generally the way it's instructed, as we've done this a lot. It's been passed on and passed on and passed on. Often the best answer is just, well, that's the way my teacher tells me to do it, so I'll do it that way. I would like to have a stable practice every day. I tried to meditate for one hour a day. I did not succeed. Now I meditate every day for at least a minute. Do you recommend this approach to meditation? Well, a minute's better than nothing. But, I mean, I recommend doing more than that, of course. I recommend trying to be mindful during your daily life. Include that and try and find a way to complement to have your your formal practice complement your daily pra your ordinary practice in your non-formal life like when you're walking around try and say to yourself walking walking when you're standing say standing when you're sitting say sitting sitting uh, another thing i recommend is find a teacher and try and do a course because when you're with a teacher, it's much easier to keep a schedule, generally. The other thing I suppose I'd recommend is start succeeding, which seems like a terrible thing to say, but sometimes you just have to, you know, do it, you know? Sometimes you just have to make the change in your life. Like, there's no secret, there's no trick to it. You just have to make the decision and say, just do it. And it's easy to get lazy and, and start to think, well, I'll just wait until it comes to me to do it. Well, sometimes you have to say, all right, all right, I'm going to do it. After seeing the repetitiveness in the experiences, I have stopped meditating to not be overwhelmed by those experiences. Is it okay to take break from meditation when overwhelming experiences? It's okay, but it would be much better if you could, if you could come to terms with that and the the feeling of being overwhelmed. What what is that? And meditate on that. Say to yourself overwhelmed, overwhelmed, look at the liking or disliking, worry, fear, boredom, stress, whatever. And taking a break is kind of uh, aversive, Aversion, aversionary, no, aver it's, it cultivates aversion. When noting, rising, falling, sitting, touching, how long should I wait for the sensation at the left, right, back to appear? Or should I note the touching without feeling the area? The touching is the mind touching that spot. So when the mind is in that spot, you can just say touching. You don't have to wait for some feeling. Sometimes you'll feel something, sometimes you won't. Is it necessary to be able to accurately label or note? For example, does it matter if I inaccurately noted anxiety, but in reality it is heartburn or something else? 
Yeah, it does matter. Because it means you didn't really uh, get what you were experiencing. It actually matters quite a bit because if you get into just noting something, then it becomes meaningless and and conceptual and can be actually dangerous if you get caught up in that sort of using the mantra for the mantra's sake. It should only be when you feel something or realizing that you're actually just feeling heartburn or something physical. It's a very important part of it, being able to accurately and clearly see what you're experiencing. That's an important part of the progress. But... Um, it's not so much that it's necessary as it is a skill that you're expected, you're, you're trying to gain. So over time, you'll be better able to accurately note what's going on. And you should be clear about that goal in the sense that don't be complacent and don't be content with just noting anything because that could lead to problematic consequences. I try to meditate, but after some time, I fall asleep. Please tell cause of this and the solution also. Well, try and get enough sleep. Um, try not to meditate when you're too tired. If you're, but but in the beginning, this is quite common because quite often people have very strong concentration and not very strong effort or energy. Um. So you have to balance that. Do walking meditation. If you're drowsy when you sit, try and stand up and do walking meditation. If, you, if you're not doing walking, that's a really good support in the beginning to adjust this. It's a really good way to adjust the imbalance between effort and concentration. It's the kind of thing that works itself out if you do walking and sitting together regularly. I'm trying hard to practice while conversing, but it is very difficult for me without losing empathy and attention towards the interlocutor. Do you have any advice? Ultimately, it's going to push you away from from social situations. Right? It's it's it is a there is a conflict there. If you're always caught up in in people and their issues then it's going you're going to have a hard time being mindful and if you start trying to be mindful it's very hard to have any interest in people's problems and issues and and the world that's really not a bad thing it's ultimately not productive for us to get caught up in people's um, issues and, and lives, but it does make social situations difficult. When there are expectations that are often unreasonable, people expect you to be engaged and involved and interested in things that are ultimately not particularly worth being interested in. Like if someone has a problem, for example, to them telling you the details of their problem is not really the most useful thing for either of you what's most useful is for them to learn how to be with their emotions to be with to be mindful to be with what you're trying to be as you um, observe and, and interact with them mindfully now we don't realize that you really don't have to talk about your problems and there's so much unnecessary talk what we have to talk about is our experiences How do I practice in a way that I don't get too obsessed or zoned out on rising, falling of stomach? Well, try and note everything else as well. Try and do walking meditation. Consider taking a meditation course because the rising, falling isn't the only object when we explain further practices throughout the course. If you're interested in taking a course, you can go to our website and learn about that. 
I know it sounds like I'm like promoting something as though I get something out of it or it's like what we're here for, but it really is a constant answer that we have to fall back on. I mean, the only answer is not to listen. The real answer is not to listen to what I'm saying. You know, my answers are not going to fix your problems. Ultimately, practice is, and, and practice is best conducted with a teacher. So it's it's just an inevitable part of this um, program that I constantly come back to read the booklet, do a meditation course, because Buddhism isn't just about gaining intellectual. It should never be about gaining intellectual knowledge. You're not here to learn something intellectually. You're here to help yourself become free from suffering. And that's a practical, it's a hands-on sort of activity. It's not something something you can sit there and gain from me by my talking. So recommend getting interested in actually taking up the practice of meditation. Anyway, that's, I'm not accusing the person who asked this question of that. But uh, yeah, definitely recommend reading the, you've probably read the booklet, I recommend doing a meditation course. We have an at-home course now that's meant to help people who can't take an intensive course. I'm feeling frustrated a lot. I feel edgy. I struggle with seeing where progress is headed and how the technique is working. How should I proceed? Well, you should proceed by noting your frustration, your feelings of edginess or whatever that would be, edgy, that would be restless or anxious. Um, struggle with seeing where progress is headed. You should note that that you you're you're obsessed over some sort of uh, theoretical progress, um, and and some way of knowing whether it's somehow working in some way. All of that you should just let go of because all of that is causing you stress and suffering, frustration. Right. So you're actually gaining something from the practice. You're learning how your your approach to things is causing is stressful and that's going to change the way you approach things you'll be less goal oriented you'll be less focused on progress or uh, goal uh, you know results and so on you'll be much more content you know, as a result because you'll see that being discontent is stressful so it's working <laughs> proceed by by continuing you'll learn You'll get it eventually. The mind will let go and there will be more peace. Try and note all of that that you're experiencing. They, after learning that experience is truly uncontrollable and seeing the mind conceives of the self, I've become less inclined to meditate. I'm afraid of losing myself. Any advice? Note the fear. Say afraid, afraid. There's nothing special about that. It just happens from meditation. It happens from intellectualizing it and getting caught up in ideas that somehow you're going to lose something valuable or so on. no diversion to meditation, that sort of thing. Because meditation isn't real, right? It's just a concept in your mind. You become averse to it. There's nothing different about sitting still or cross-legged or walking back and forth. There's nothing different about that from ordinary experience. Why can't you do that? focus more on the instructions than the meditation in that I focus solely on the breath then I don't notice the unbinding of stress when I note how can I focus more on the ending of stress 
I'm not sure that that's what we're interested in doing. I would focus on whatever's there. And I'm not quite clear where the issue is. Or the, it, it, it sounds like it's not quite how I would try to understand the practice. You know, if you're focusing solely on the breath, well, first of all, we try to focus on the stomach, which is kind of the breath, kind of not, but the stomach rising and falling, and then when other things arise, note them as well. But this noticing the unbinding of stress, maybe an experience if you feel, you know, release of some sort, you can just note feeling, feeling. I don't know about focusing on the ending of stress, sounds sort of maybe misguided. If you haven't read the booklet, recommend taking that up. If you have, maybe try doing a course. Trying to be mindful all day, I've come to wonder, is it possible to be in a hurry and continue to be mindful? It depends what you mean by being in a hurry. If, if you're, you know, anxious, then you're not mindful, so there's often anxiety associated with hurrying, but if you're just physically rushing, like running or walking quickly, it's you know, doing something quickly, that's not necessarily a cause for unmindfulness, but when you're mentally in a hurry, like stressed about how slow things are going and worried and afraid that you might miss something, that's going to stop you from being mindful, for sure. But all this wondering, you have to note wondering, wondering. If that's all it is, stop, stop getting caught up. Don't don't get caught up in the wondering. Say wondering, wondering. I find it easier to note sensations such as rising, falling, pain, pressure, numbness, etc., but struggle with noting states of mind. Am I doing it right? I don't know. Um, you know, there's nothing about struggling that tells me whether you're doing it right or wrong because we all struggle with different things. Struggling with noting the state of mind is, I guess, pretty common. Depends on the individual. Um, but you don't have to try to note anything. You just note what, what's there, what you experience. You don't have to go out of your way to find something to note. If you're noting all of those things you say you're noting, that's a great start. When you, you know, if, just as long as you're not excluding uh, certain experiences, like when you think something, don't exclude that. You should say thinking, thinking. When you have emotions, you shouldn't exclude that. If you notice that you're angry, you should say angry. If you notice that you like something or want something, you should note that as well. But if you don't notice it, then I wouldn't concern yourself with it. You can sometimes check whether you're ignoring something like, oh yeah, and there's like read over the four satipatthana and and look and say to yourself, oh yeah, that one I I've noticed that, but I forgot to know. I didn't think to note that. I didn't like that a lot, but I didn't ever say disliking. Yeah, you ignored it basically. That's the problem. I'm struggling with the amount of attention I need to the noting and the breath. Sometimes I feel I focus too much on the noting. Any advice? There's so many common problems like that in the beginning. I wouldn't try to I wouldn't stress yourself out about it. Try and note that. So rather than trying to do things differently, note how you're doing them. Note the res result of how you're doing them. Cuz part of what we're trying to see is how we engage in the process of seeing right how, how we how we practice part of the practice is learning about how we approach anything so even just let's say watching the stomach we're trying to learn about how we approach that task right even that task is going to be so caught up in our biases in our predilections in our in our our bad habits good and bad habits but some of them are pretty bad like trying to control and so on so when for example you try to control the breath you don't have to stop yourself from controlling it. You just have to keep doing it until you see that, you know, oh, yeah, this isn't the right way to do things. And eventually your mind will let go by itself. 
So when you feel whatever it is that makes you feel, you're not actually feeling that you focus too much on the noting. You're feeling something. And then your reaction to that is to say, this is too much, or this is me focusing too much. But no, there's something more primary there. It's a feeling. What is the feeling that leads you to think to yourself, I focus too much on the noting? You don't feel that. You feel something. Note that feeling. When you think you're focusing too much on the noting, note thinking or even judging. You know, If you're frustrated, note that as well. You don't have to adjust the amount of attention. You just have to do it and learn. Learn how, you, how, how wrong you're doing it and keep learning. And it's all the learning about all the, how, how wrong you're doing it that's going to make you eventually do it right. Would mindfully relaxing a tense feeling after noting it be counterproductive in the long term? So I have to tease you a little bit because this it's these questions where you you add the word mindfully and, and you know it's well intentioned and there's nothing wrong with this question. It's just a little bit a little bit funny because it's like if you put the word mindfully then then it's all right, right? So I'm sorry, I don't mean to be I don't mean to to to, to single you out or anything. But it's important to note because because we use the word mindful in so many different ways, we use it as a buzzword now. You know, people say, "Oh, I'm mindful all the time anyway. I'm just naturally mindful." You know, I don't practice meditation, but I'm very mindful when I uh, make art or when I play the piano or when I rock climb or so on. Right. So, if you're relaxing a tense feeling, there's a reason why you're relaxing it. Now, there's nothing wrong with any activity per se, but why are you relaxing it? And the reasons why you're relaxing it have nothing to do generally with mindfulness. They have to do with partiality, judgment, attachment, uh, even identification. I am tense, that sort of thing. Tense is bad, is a judgment. Wanting to feel pleasure you know, is craving. All of that is unmindful. So it really most likely is you're not doing anything mindful. You know, there may be moments of mindfulness in in there, but um, it's not a very mindful activity, generally. So, so no. The only the only reason is if someone had an injury, or let's say you got a cramp. You know, one of those cramps where you sit wrong and it just pulls something, and it's really, I don't know. It feels like it could be dangerous. Well, then you might want to, you know, massage it out. Like some people I know, an old I had, there was an old man who had a uh, pulled something in his shoulder, right? Like he had this this nerve. It's like a nerve, and so he had me push down on his shoulder, and he said, "Push, push there very hard." I don't know what that. I, I don't know if that's actually dangerous, but it could. I guess it could be. And then you might want to say, "Okay." So that that's an example. If if there's cases like that, if someone has injuries or that sort of thing, it's not to say that any kind of massage or relaxation is wrong. But most of it is. Most massage, relaxation, that sort of thing is wrong from a perspective of mindfulness because it's not mindfulness. You know, the word mindfulness is just, first of all, it's the wrong word. Second of all, if you take it to be the right word, it, it, it has a very specific meaning. So most things that we call mindful are not technically mindful. It's not a proper use of the word. Or we could just abandon the word entirely and use more accurate terms like reminding yourself, you know. And there's no there's no good word in English, and I guess mindful is the best one. But it, it literally means do you remember the experience as it is? And so yes, as as you're doing the relaxing you can be mindful, but your reasons for doing it and your inclination while you're doing it is not to observe, it's to change, it's to fix. What is your internal dialogue, if you have any, when unwanted thoughts appear during meditation? I think they're probably asking for what they should do. Mm. 
Or you could say to yourself, thinking, thinking. If it's unwanted, that's a state of mind. And you would say, disliking. It's basically disliking. One day I was asking just the practice-related questions, but there are a lot of other questions, so maybe I could start with some of them. Sure. Uh, this one, maybe a longer talk, but I read this word, equanimity, reading about meditation. Can you expound on this? Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the word. Um, as a theory, there's... There's use in understanding the idea of being equanimous. So I think the problem with it is that if you focus on equanimity, then it becomes an activity of trying to be equanimous, which you shouldn't do. You should try to see clearly, try to observe, and the equanimity comes from it. It's kind of like you know it's working, when you're more equanimous rather than I should try and be more equanimous you shouldn't try to be more equanimous you should try to see clearly the equanimity comes really along with that with uh, the objectivity but there are many you know there are many ways that equi equanimity works in Buddhism many ways of talking about it there's good equanimity there's bad equanimity there's um, lesser and greater, there's like eight different types of equanimity or something. Do all attachments lead to suffering? Yes. Morality universal or relative? What is the foundation for morality? Boy, these really are off track, aren't they? Um, I mean, sorry, I don't mean bad questions. I just they're not really meditative questions. I'm not sure if I like where this is going. Um, so is morality universal? Morality is universal. What is the foundation for morality? Uh, right, okay, now this is a good question. The foundation for morality is whether it leads to stress or suffering. Um, it, it, meaning, if something does lead to stress or suffering, it's immoral. That's, that's actually it. That's actually morality. Or, but, but it's not quite that, because it's not like you look to the results. It's... It being bad, um, and that's why it leads to stress and suffering, because the, you don't want to be too focused on results and outcomes. It's just, it's almost that it's, in, it, it is that it's inherently wrong, inherently inconsistent or misguided. So it's like you do something um, for some purpose, and it doesn't bring about that purpose, or it doesn't, it's counterproductive, it doesn't have, it, it, it's misguided, it's a pr product of a misunderstanding, because when you steal, for example, you do it because you want to be happy, ultimately, and that's not a good way to be happy, it's not, it's not right. It's crooked. It's perverse, I guess. There is actually a, a, a sort of intrinsic perversion to certain things. Ultimately, physical and verbal acts aren't immoral, can't be immoral, but when a mental quality, a perverse mental state, leads to those leads to certain states. We call the states immoral as well, the, you know, the, the actions and the speech. Ultimately, it's the, it's the mind state, and the intention to do those things, the inclination to do them, that's immoral. 
because for example the, the classic example is if you step on a on an ant and you didn't know it was there from a buddhist perspective that's not immoral it's not intrinsically immoral to kill someone or something but the intention to kill well that's pretty darn immoral and if it leads you to actually kill someone it's going to have lasting consequences on your psyche and on your future. When contemplating impermanence after seeing rising and falling, what is the nature of the experience? Is the contemplation reflective, discursive thoughts, or just an awareness of something else? I'm not sure, like, I, I think I could figure out this question, I'm just not inclined to. <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't think this is that useful. I don't think this is that beneficial to think about these sorts of things. So let's pick it apart here to, to show you what I mean, what I'm, what I'm, how I'm perceiving this. When contemplating impermanence, that's not something you should do. Impermanence is, an, is a realization that comes to you through mindfulness. You shouldn't contemplate it. Seeing the rising and falling, well, that's good, yes. You're doing something right there. But after seeing the rising and falling, you should see the rising again. <laughs> that's what you should do. What is the nature of the experience? Besides what you experience, besides what you see by watching the rising and falling and everything else, the nothing. Is the contemplation reflective discursive thoughts or just an awareness of something else? Uh, it is what it is. The contemplation is contemplation. So it's thinking, you should note thinking or even contemplating. So I guess I did sort of answer it, but it does seem that this question is coming from a, a thinking too much, perhaps. Try to just note thinking, thinking. Is there a recommended universal approach to introducing children to meditation and the Buddha's teaching? Learn yourself first. It's very important that you learn about meditation as a parent or as a guardian of, a ch of children, even if you're not a parent. Um, there's, there's, yeah, that, that because once you learn, you're in a pretty good place to teach others. You're in a pretty good place to. Um, explain and describe the practice to others. There's nothing really special about teaching children. This technique is totally applicable and practicable for for children. I did some videos on the topic. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not even sure they're the best, but maybe they're useful. The thing about the videos is I tried to um, give give a general understanding of the idea of using a mantra. So it's not entirely about mindfulness. It's not entirely about uh, reality. You know, I, I have them note cat, cat, like visualize a cat or a color in their mind. Colors are a very common Buddhist object of meditation. I have them focus on mother and father and that sort of thing and just say mother, mother, father, father. Um but ultimately got into the idea of watching the stomach rising and, and the four satipatthana. So you might check those out. Maybe they help. I know I had one student who used them with her children and said they weren't. I think other people have told me as well that they were maybe helpful. But it might give you some ideas, at least, to do it your own way. Is celibacy, attraction to opposite sex, an impediment to progressing one's meditation practice? Non-celibacy. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, you can't pair those two things together. Oh, wait, celibacy and, because they can be together, you can be celibate and still attracted to the opposite sex. So maybe that's what they're referring to. But maybe they're talking about in-celibacy. Let's talk about it all, I guess. So... Being incelibate, yes, is an impediment, and attraction to the opposite sex, yes, is an impediment. 
um, though the, the latter, attraction to the opposite sex, is something you can take as a meditation object. Being in celibate is really counterproductive because it's the encouragement and the, the cultivation of attraction. Right? The more in celibate you are, the more attract attraction you're going to cultivate. But simple attraction is just an experience, and it's something you can be mindful of, attra uh, wanting or you know, liking, liking. So it's less of a... It is an impediment, but it's also an object of practice. So it actually, um, practically speaking, is a good thing to, to have come up because it helps you learn about it. It helps you learn about attraction. When it comes up, you can note it. But acti actively cultivating it, well, that's the problem. That's cultivating bad habits. Because you can't be objective when you're liking something. You're not able to see it clearly. It's a product of delusion. The feeling that that thing is going to be stable, satisfying, or controllable. When in fact it's unpredictable, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. Noticing tension, should I release it or maintain the effort to remain tense? This is a follow-up question to the question earlier. You shouldn't maintain the effort. Why would you why would you maintain the effort to remain tense? Maintain like like actually try to stay tense? You shouldn't do either. When you note the tension, you should just note it. So it kind of I guess it sounds like there's this idea that somehow you're creating that, like you're, it's you, it's an, it, you know, there's a self that is creating the tension, and that's not the case. It is you in the sense that it's not anybody else, but the you is much more complicated than that. It's not something you can just turn off or release it or, or maintain it. It doesn't work like that. You just notice it, and you'll see it will release by it should release by itself when it's good and ready. When meditating somewhere noisy during sitting, with many noises arising, must I go back to the rising and falling? If so, when? So yeah, you should note sound. You would say hearing, hearing. And if it goes away, it goes away, and then go back to the rising and falling. If it doesn't go away after a while, you can just ignore it. And go back to the rising and falling anyway. You should go back to the rising and falling. Is it advisable to switch posture multiple times in a one-hour meditation session? So it's it's advisable to do half walking and half sitting. So if you're doing one hour total, you do half an hour walking, half an hour sitting. Um, if you have to switch postures, like adjust, move your position a little bit, that's fine. But you know, try and be mindful. I guess try not to. If you if you can, if you're in pain, say pain, pain. But when you have to change, just say wanting to move or something. Moving, moving, and so on. In Vipassana meditation, we are taught to pay attention only with bare attention to what is happening to Nama and Rupa. And how do we get the wisdom, get understanding, to... if we're not, if we don't analyze it? So, yeah, there's a real sort of disconnect between the Buddhist idea of wisdom and a, a modern sort of I want to say western but it's not unique to the west it's just a, an ordinary understanding of wisdom our ordinary understanding of wisdom is that it's um, conceptual analytical right? 
Wisdom is something you get from analyzing things. It's not true at all. Intelligence, perhaps, and that might be what we would call intelligence. There's a lot of knowledge you can get from analyzing. You can't get wisdom that way. Although you might call it an analysis. It's just a different kind of analysis that goes on automatically as you observe. So it's precisely because you're not analyzing that you're not discursively thinking about the thing that you come to gain wisdom. And you come to gain a because what we mean is a clear understanding of the nature of reality. A clear uh, awareness of the way things are, understanding of the way things are. What is this like? What is that like? You'll only get that if you're attentive, if you're paying attention and bear attention. If you're analyzing and, and you know, extrapolating upon, you're never going to get that clear awareness. Usually people miss wisdom. They're, they're gaining so much wisdom and then they don't, get, they don't realize it. And so they, they, they start to doubt start to feel like the practice is not giving them the benefit it should, even though it actually is. Because the wisdom is understanding how you're doing everything wrong, understanding how you're trying to control things, understanding how you try to analyze everything. All right, that's an hour. We're trying arbitrarily to limit this to 60 minutes. And we've done so. So are there any any good questions? Not that there are bad questions, but any questions that you think, boy, this person really needs an answer. It'll help them a lot in their practice. Are there any of those left? A few questions. Some of these questions you've answered in other videos, so maybe uh, we could just point to other videos. Like, for instance, this one. It's about the precepts. Yeah. yeah and it's not really about meditation, but yeah, yeah. we did a, I did a video on it, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a video. You've also answered it. Yeah. yeah, there's also a meditation fact, frequently asked questions on our website. We could add to that. We're, there's some people who are actually transcribing some of the answers, I think. So maybe it'll get bigger. Um. So maybe that's it. Are we done? It's a question about when doing two hours, is it better to do walking, sitting for half hour intervals or one hour intervals? Mm. It really depends on, you'd have to have a bigger picture of your practice. I mean, two hours at a time, if that's the only meditation you do during the day, like for a lot of people, half hour, half hour might be easier. But generally, yeah, it would be one hour walking, one hour sitting. It's just that if that's all you do during the day, that can be quite stressful because you're not that mindful if that's all you're doing for the 24 hours. It would be better, I would think, generally to do an hour at one an hour in the morning and then like eight or eight hours later another hour that sort of thing you know if you space it out then it's more a part of your life so i'd have to know more about your daily routine to really answer that well There's also this question about uh, some experience they were having in meditation. Maybe they could sign up for your at-home course. Mm. They are not already doing it. Well, that sounds like actually what we call piti. If that happens, you should tell it to stop. Say stop. Just actually say stop. Why does it happen? It happens mainly, if I'm reading it right, it happens from... From it's what we call piti or rapture, and it happens from concentration, from uh, repetition, and the mind's sort of complacency. 
So when you tell it to stop, the mind sort of ends that sort of uh, the, the mind's in subtle encouragement of it. Just tell it to stop, it usually stops. Someone had some questions about speed in which you walk. I think I don't see the question, but you talked about that a lot in the there were a bunch of questions about speed of walking in Yeah, I don't know. From hopefully last that's time. in the that might be in the frequently asked questions. Hopefully it is, because that's a common one. Shouldn't be fast, shouldn't be slow, that's the general answer. All right, I'm calling it. That's enough for today. I'll be here again. There will always be more questions, it seems. There will always be new people. If you've heard all the answers already, then what the heck are you doing here? Go practice. No, it's fine. I'm happy to have you, but this is um, no, this is an ongoing thing. I keep answering questions. Happy to do it. Thank you all for your interest and for your good questions. I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question or if the answer wasn't what you'd hope for, hoped for. Uh, I'll try my best. Try my try better next time. Have a good day, everyone. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Don't we have a sadhu page? Sadhu. There we go. Thank you, and thank you, thank you, Shraddha. Thank you.